Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Samuel, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise, and thank you for the privilege of coming into your home. Very first thing we want to do, the foundation rock of faith for us. We've, we've spent so much time hiding this in our heart and letting this thing grow within our heart. Psalms chapter 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust, for He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find the refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the other. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble, I will rescue him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalms 91 Before we go to prayer today, let me talk to you about prayer. I've really been concerned about some of the men talking to me about some things they've been looking at online that they shouldn't be because they're bored. Young people with the K-Wave, seniors sometimes with the K-Wave also because you're bored. My big concern are the young people and the seniors because you've been locked up for well over five months now. But I have an idea for you. Rather than look at this lockdown as a negative, let's look at this as a great prayer meeting. Now, when I was up early this morning, one of the things I was praying about was how do we solve this issue of, of nothing to do? Well, how about if we follow Daniel's prayer? And I'm, it's going to take me a few days to get this together. But why don't you send me some instant messages what you think? We'll have a group of about five pastors meet with you three times a day online. Uh, and they will lead you in a structured prayer, just like Daniel, morning, noon, and evening. So like right after morning devotions, we'll go right into structured prayer. And then at lunchtime, we'll have another structured prayer. And then in the evening, we'll have another structured prayer. Or maybe we'll do it before morning devotions, but that would be a little early for some of you. But I'd like you to think about this and pop me some messages, what you think. We'll call it the Daniel's Prayer Time. And every day, we'll have a series of prayer requests posted there where you can read it. And you can just read through and join us in prayer as we pray for these things. And we'll pray three times a day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Now, there's a thought for you. Father, one of the great pieces of armor that we are to place on with the whole armor of God is prayer, all kinds of prayer. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you give us wisdom how to lead the congregation to a deeper prayer life than we've ever had before. 
Father, we recognize that this is where calling comes. We recognize that this is where, <laughs> this is where lives are changed. And this is where revival begins us in prayer. Father, I ask that you stir up the spirit of supplication, that you stir up in the hearts of every one of our people a desire to pray. In every young person, Father, in every senior, everyone who's locked in a home, Father, that you let them begin to see this as a tremendous time to discipline their prayer life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship. that everything that happens in our life will end 
in praise. And we will continue to worship Him no matter what we go through because we have a mighty God who works all things together for our good. Do you believe that? Amen. So here in COP, we have a saying, if it's not good, it's not the end. If it's not good, it's not the end. So everything in our life will always end in praise.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Now, Paul was not a super spiritual guy. He was a down-to-earth real guy, and you begin to see this coming out in the theology presented. Paul said, for I consider, this is how Paul thinks, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says, so all right, right now in the now, there are sufferings. But in the future, there's going to be glory. When you walk the streets of glory, when you walk the streets of glory, when you walk the streets of heaven, when you see the glory that is God, folks, nothing that you go through in this life is worth comparing. Now, the, these sufferings here, th this is not sickness, disease, poverty, pain, failure. What, what this is, is persecution. Paul recognized that in all of our lives, persecution comes, and it, it really is suffering. He said, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, this is what we would call the second coming. Creation, this is the volcanoes, the seas, the, the fields, the birds, the lions, the wildlife, the insects, the bacteria, the viruses. All creation waits with eager longing. So creation has desires. Ha <laughs> ha! You need to think about that. Creation has desires. Eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's the second coming when Jesus sets up his millennial reign and the earth is restored to the Garden of Eden type situation. For creation was subject to futility, okay? Futileness. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from its bondage to decay to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now notice, the children of God, we will no longer be corruptible. Paul said we put on this, that which is corruptible puts on incorruption. So he said, in the same way, all creation wants to be set free from its bondage to decay. So decay is a bondage. When you watch a tree die, that's bondage. When you watch the leaves of the field shrivel up and die, that's bondage. See, when you watch a fish grow old and die, that's bondage. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The same that we have in our glorified state, creation will have. For we know that the whole creation, not a piece of it, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So creation groans. Now, what are those groans? Some people say it's the weather patterns. Some people say it's volcanoes. I don't know. But we know that all creation groans together. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, we're already adopted in one sense as God's sons. But there is a full adoption that takes place at the redemption of our bodies. This is the glorified body. This is the rapture. We groan inwardly, every one of us. This, young people right now, you don't understand getting old. 
But, you know, getting old really sucks. You know, it is a bondage to decay. Your hair falls out. Your eyebrows. You know, I used to have eyebrows that went all the way down to here. I looked at a picture of myself when I was young. Grabe tell a guy these big, thick eyebrows that came down to here. And then I remembered when I was in high school, I used to shave in between because I looked like a caveman. My eyebrows were so thick. He said, Pastor, that's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bondage of decay. Everything in creation, including your body, is looking forward to the rapture. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Hope is always the confident expectation of future good. It's not a reality yet. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. How do we wait for the return of the Lord? With patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So, all right. We make the noise. Holy Spirit makes the verbal, the verbalization. This is what we call praying in the Holy Ghost. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, you are praying the perfect will of God. Now, your mind is unfruitful, as Paul says, but you are praying the perfect will of God. This is why Paul says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. We need to pray in the Holy Ghost every day. And we know that those who love God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Here's the promise. So even in the middle of this chaos called COVID-19, God is going to cause all things. You lost your job, God will make that work for your good. Now you need to think about that. Everything that happens to you will work together for good. The Greek word there means for your benefit. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now notice, there's foreknowledge and then there's predestination. Foreknowledge comes before predestination. Now there's a false doctrine that says the only people that are saved are the people that God chose to be saved. No, predestination is based on God's foreknowledge. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So all right, notice we start with foreknowledge. Then we go to predestination. Then we go to calling. Then we go to justification. And then we go to glorification. But it all starts back here with foreknowledge. God knows from the beginning those who will follow the call for salvation. So predestination is not the beginning of this. Foreknowledge is the beginning of this. I call this the salvation chain. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I like that. Wow. If God is going to cause all things to work together for my good, if I have been foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified, if God is for us, who can be against us? Folks, you just have to understand. We win. 
You need to get a revelation of that. Who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things. Why doubt God's desire to prosper you? Now forgive me, but right now in the middle of this COVID thing, why would you doubt that? Why would you die? If God gave his own son for you to die on a cross to take the punishment of your sins, why would you doubt that he will not also along with him, you don't get the blessings of God without Jesus, with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So who can bring any charge? God has justified you, remember, just as if you've never sinned. Who is to condemn? Now notice we have a series of who's here, and this is important. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So I say Jesus' present work. What is he doing right now? He's interceding for you. Then he comes in again. Who shall separate us from the love of God or from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Danger? Sword? No. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So, all right. You're more than a conqueror through tribulation. You're more than a conqueror through distress. You're more than a conqueror through persecution. You're more than a conqueror through famine. You're more than a conqueror through financial hardship. That's nakedness. More than a conqueror through danger. More than a conqueror through sword or war. You're more than a conqueror through him who loved us. <laughs> For I am sure neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing. Do you got that? Nothing can separate you from God. You just need to get a revelation of that. Now, you can turn your back and walk away from God, but nothing can take you away from God. Nothing can snatch you from his hand because he loves you. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
As we pick up today in Ezra chapter 5, let us remember our context. Cyrus has issued a decree to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. They've gone back. Cyrus even said we should pay for all of this. They've gone back and they've started. But some of the people who had been outsiders, who had been moved into the land by the Babylonians and by the Persians, they didn't like the temple being rebuilt. So they wrote a letter of complaint and they used some misdirection and they used some, forgive me, false perceptions. And they said that they were rebuilding the walls, not the temple. And so wrong searches were made. The construction project is shut down. Now in chapter 5, verse 1, we begin building again. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel who was over them. 
Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shatiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehazak, rose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So, okay, God restarts the project. Now, they didn't start, restart the project in their own idea. God, through his prophets, restarted the project. At the same time, Tetanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shelthar Bozonai, and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and finish this structure? They again, they want to stop it, just like their you know, ancestors had stopped it. They also asked them this, What are the names of the men who are building this building? In other words, they want people responsible. But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews. <laughs> Everybody say the eye of God. I like that. But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews. And they did not stop them until a report should reach the iris and then the answer could be returned by letter concerning it. All right, so God's eye gave favor. No work stoppage. This is a copy of the letter that Tetanai, governor of the province beyond the river, and Shalthar Bozanai, and his associates, the governors, who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Dairis the king. And they sent him a report to, in which it is written as follows. To Dairis the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God. It is being built with huge stones, and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them, Who gave you a decree to build this house and finish the structure? So they said, We demanded by what authority? We also asked for their names, for your information, that we might write down their names of their leaders. But this was their reply to us. Quote, we are the servants of the great of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus made a decree that this house should be rebuilt. All right, so... Cyrus is the authority. And the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon, these Cyrus took out of the temple of Babylon and they were delivered to one whose name was Sheshbazzar, whom he made governor. And he said to him, take these vessels and go put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site, not someplace else, its site. Then Sheshbazzar came and laid the foundation of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been in building and it is not finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem and let the king send us his pleasure in this matter. Now, notice their response removes 
false perceptions. Remember, the last time they were shut down, it was all about smoke and mirrors. It was all about where they are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and this city will rebel against you. But none of that was the case. It was all fake news. It's a term we hear a lot today. It was all fake news. Every bit of it was fake news. And it was shut down. So this time they made sure the truth got to the king. Because notice, and we quote, so evidently the Jewish leaders did a written response. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then Darius, the king, made a decree, and a search was made in Babylonia, in the house of archives where the documents were stored. And in Ekbantana, the capital that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which it is written, a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the places where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of temper. Let the cost be paid by the royal treasury. Hmm. Verse 5. And also, let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. Everything has a place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now, therefore, Tethani, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozanai, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. So, number one, stay away. Don't stop this. Don't interfere with this. Let the work on this house of God alone. Stay away. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders rebuild the house of God on its site. So stay away. Let them build. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you are to do for these elders of the Jews for rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full without delay from the royal revenue. The tribute, in other words, your taxes, <laughs> of the province from beyond the river. Now, would you look at that? So stay away, let them build. Number three, you pay for it. <laughs> now, amazing. They, they tried to stop it, and they wound up paying for it. So please forgive me. All things work together. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil as the priests of Jerusalem require, let it be given to them day by day without fail. So, all right, number three was you pay for it. Number four, you provide the sacrifices. <laughs> that it may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and... Pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, penalty, if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it and his house shall be made a dunghill. So, all right, there's going to be a penalty if you stop this. So the king did not just give an order he gave an order with an ultimatum. If you don't do these things, if you alter what I've said in any way, if you don't pay for it, 
if you don't provide the sacrifices. He said, any guy who does this, I'm going to take one beam out of their house and I'm going to impale them on it. May the God who caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put a hand to alter this or to destroy the, this house of God that is, out, that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree, let it be done with all diligence. Now, brothers and sisters, God has a sense of humor. These people who destroyed the temple now pay to rebuild it. The conquerors who burned it to the ground, now they bring what belongs in it back and they pay to rebuild it and they pay for the sacrifices. This is God restoring twofold. Then according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatanai the governor of the province beyond the river, Shetar Bozanai and his associates did with all diligence what the Darius king had ordered. And the elders of the Jew built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edu. They finished their building by the decree of the God of Israel and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. And the this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the rest of the returned elders, celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem as written in the book of Moses. All right, return to the book of instructions. If you don't know what to do, Get out your Bible and find out what the Bible says you're supposed to do. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together with all of them who were clean. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who returned from exile and by everyone also who had joined them and separated themselves from the uncleanness of the people of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. So in other words, there is holiness. And they kept the feast of the unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria turned toward them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. To me, this is one of the great stories of restoration. These ancient kings came and destroyed the house of God, burned it to the ground, did not even leave the foundations there. And now they come and they pay to rebuild it and they pay for the sacrifices to be offered there. If God can do that for them, God can do that for you. God will always restore twofold what has been destroyed in our lives. All right, we'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.